Welcome to Cinebabble episode 29. I am, as always, your host, Ken, and this is my uh, beautiful, wonderful co-host, Clint Jones. Clint, say hello to the world. Hello, world. This is me. I'm here. I'm not uh, a jerk no. who didn't press play no. or record. No. no, this is not the second time we're recording this intro. No. Uh, this has certainly not been a frustrating experience for Clint. We mm-hmm. are. This is our first time through, and we're feeling good. I'm. Yeah, I'm just doing wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> Clint, this week I I have been dying to tell you, uh, but it was Father's Day last week. I remember. And yeah. generally, my son is not one for Father's Day or Mother's Day. He's not. He's not the affectionate type of kid. I've and noticed. So uh, normally, you know, we don't get presents. We don't get a lot of love on Father's Day, Mother's Day. It's fine. We're not big card fans anyway. Who cares? What are you going to do with the card anyway? I, it, yeah. Yeah, you're going to read it. You're going to nod at it. You're going to be like, oh, that's so sweet. And then... At the very best, you're going to recycle it. Yeah. If you're a real jerk, you're going to just throw it in the trash. Well, shh. People it. don't talk about that part. <laughs> but my son, uh, who who normally does not acknowledge uh, his gratitude towards me at all, for Father's Day, spent stupid money doing something that I had never heard of and just completely blew me away. I love Scotland. I always love Scotland. You talk about honeymoon Scotland. Scotland's just—I'm sorry. (laughs) I love Scotland. I don't know why. Mm -hmm. I just do. And my son found out that if you own any amount of land in Scotland, Mm -hmm. you are officially a lord or a lady of Scotland. And so this kid bought me a square foot of Scottish soil in Scotland, Mm -hmm. and I now own a square foot of land in Scotland. So henceforth, (laughs) you shall address me. As your Lord and Highness, uh, Kenny Brown. So you already make me do that anyway when I come into the house. Well, yeah, but we've never done it on the podcast officially. Oh, okay. So, My Lord. yeah. So I, I just, I, you know, like, wow, this kid spent money just to make me a little bit happier, and it made me all warm and fuzzy, and it also made me some form of royalty. If a whole bunch of people die. Somewhere in there, vast I'm in line for something. A vast, vast amount of people before they get down to the list of people who have a square foot of property. <laughs> but just you know, the the right cataclysm uh, would essentially just grant me uh, full access and ownership of the land that is Scotland. Do they give you like GPS coordinates so you can yes. find it? Yes, I already went on Google yeah. and I already found my little plot. It's it's nice. It looks it looks tillable. It's some some good farmland. You should make a little park on it or yeah, something. I, I just <laughs> a little one foot by yeah. one foot park. Just a little uh, bench. Yeah, Rachel grew up on a farm. She loves Highland coos, which are like Scottish cows. Uh-huh. And I told her, well. If if I start scooping up land, other farms around our farm, mm-hmm. maybe I can come up with 20 square feet and we can just put a cow on it. <laughs> and as long as that cow is chained up and not wandering onto other people's grass. Yeah. You know. That's, so it's gonna be a happy cow. Yeah. Now that. one day, one day my dream is I'm gonna die and what what to do with my ashes? I have a burial <laughs> plot. In Scotland, it is one foot by one foot, which is perfect for a little jar of ashes. Can we not cremate you and just try to shove you into this one square foot? I'm 100% about that. (laughs) You make that happen, Clint. Okay. I'm good with that. So, uh, what you watching about this week, Clint? Well, Ken, first, can I say that for your birthday, I have decided to get you something equally as good. Ooh. Are you going to spoil that? Yeah. Okay. 
can I buy you a star you can name your name and name yes. it after you? Yes, because then not only am I Lord of Scotland, I am Lord of of like the universe. I've got do, does does star ownership grant you lordship titles? I think so. I mean, what else is going to give you? Perfect. I don't know. I just I want to own my own little chunk of space and my own little chunk of Scotland, and I can just die a happy man. So you can stand on your one square foot of yeah. land and then look up yeah. at your one and, star. And I'll hum like a single tear coming down my, my face, and I'll hum happy birthday to myself. <laughs> then I'll die. Then cremate me. You can launch half my ashes to the stars, and the other half of my ashes you just put right in the ground. Well, I want to just cremate half of you, shoot that to the stars, and the other half I'm just going to shove into that square I, I like your ambition <laughs> and your love for me. Uh, I'll, I'll even just let you call me by my first name without a title henceforth. Uh, you have just, you've arrived, Clint. At this point, I can't stop calling you Lord. So, so. with that, what you've been watching about, Clint? <laughs> so, Ken, I watched um, this Zombie flick from 2016 that it's one that I've been meaning to get around to for a while. And I think I actually had started at some point and, you know, I'm sleepy. I fall asleep on the couch and then I miss half of it. So I watched uh, Train to Busan. Ah, Yes. Yes. By Yeon Sung Ho. Yep. Um, And I cannot say enough good things about this film. Fantastic movie. I, I have seen it. I watched that kind of in my quarantine horror mm-hmm. phase, uh, but just absolutely loved it and and really enjoyed just kind of the scale and the intensity of it. Yeah, I was it's so compared to um, what was the flick we caught? We watched Army of the Army Dead, of the Dead yeah. which this is so much more concise and it's laid out in such a interesting way. It just follows this father and daughter who are on their trip to Basan, just back to her mother. And in the middle of this, a zombie outbreak takes Fast place. Fast zombies too. Fast zombies, which I'm usually not a fan of, usually. but it's amazing the choreography and depth that they give to these zombies and how they move is so interesting. Yeah. They like completely like they don't do what we usually do where we're heavily into the gore and just like like trying the the kills of these zombies it's more about how they move and just the speed which is really frightening in this one very and, animalistic yeah uh, very other very yeah. uh you know for as much as army of the dead tried to do the whole hierarchy of zombies and how mm-hmm. alien they are really still at the end of the day just actors running around in makeup this really felt otherworldly and 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 very inhuman yeah there's really no makeup to them there's contact lenses and i think they do some cgi um like veins popping out at points where it's very subtle and it's not noticeable it's more you can just see them um turning and it's just so well done there's moments by the end of it i'm totally forgetting that i'm in the middle of this epic zombie flick and it feels almost like this prestigious criterion film because just there's so much um soul to the center of it with the father-daughter relationship and the and that's, fr- that's what was interesting compared to, to Army of the Dead because yeah. it's it's such a smaller story. Mm-hmm. The stakes are so much higher and you really care about, uh, you know, success or failure in this scenario. Right. Yeah. You really come to love these characters that mm-hmm. like are forced together in this situation. And it's amazing 
I totally I lost my train of thought now. <laughs> All right. Train of thought. Train oh, of thought. See what you did there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's it's one of those things where when you're looking at a movie and on its surface, there are some things that make you excited and some things that are automatically like, oh, I want to watch that. And Train to Busan, I mean, it has a good trailer, but it's not like it drags you in and says you have to watch this because it could really be run of the mill. But it it elevates through its character, through its script. And mm-hmm. it's it's not there's there's not a lot of dialogue. There's not a lot of of story, traditional story to it. It's it's this very economic and and efficient little tale that just it sells you on the characters. It sells you on the realness of the characters. And then everything that happens to them uh just increases uh, that feeling, that that scene where the zombies are just kind of flooding down the train yeah, is yeah. just straight nightmare fuel. I know, and it's something that we they tried to do in World War Z, yeah. but like completely failed at it. It felt so yeah. cartoony, but in yeah. this, it feels so real. And the way they use, subtly use CGI to enhance the choreographed mm-hmm. nature of the zombies is so just so successful. Well, and they're smart about what they put in the foreground, mm-hmm. and then what they use as effects. Uh, as opposed to it just all being an effect, you know, scrambling right, down right. the, it's the just interior kind of, of the covering train. the seams. Um, but in no moment, no time, it feels small at all. It really um, paints the picture that outside of this train, that it's um, a really large event going on and it's spreading across the country. But um, yeah, something I've been meaning to watch forever, and then I saw it popped up on Shutter, and um, Joe Bob Briggs of The Last Drive-In was doing mm-hmm. it. And I always love his um, just walking through the film and insightful um, dialogue that he gives to it. Um, It's really interesting. But yeah, if you haven't seen this film, it's uh, you're sorely missing out. It's it's great. Yeah, it's great. So the next thing I watched was a little science fiction horror film called In the Earth, Mm -hmm. um, directed by Ben Wheatley. Uh, he did Sightseers, High Rise, Free Fire, and he did a couple other films. High Rise, uh, I have in my queue. That's the one with Tom Hiddleston. Yeah. But I, I haven't watched In the Earth yet. Yeah. Um, I'd say that Sightseers is his best film. That's the one that kind of got him known, mm-hmm. I, even though I think he's done some things before that, but it was really put him on the map. And uh, High Rise is good. It's good. Mm-hmm. It's fun to watch Tom Hiddleston in a different performance other than like Loki. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, it takes place and it follows this scientist played by Joel Fry, and he's in this little British show called Plebs. Have you ever seen that show? I watched a little bit of it back when you had first recommended it to me. Yeah, it's it's really fun. Um, and Alora Torchia, who was in Midsummer for a minute, um, uh, plays one of the other people taking who are at the um, what would it, the cult. Mm-hmm. She likes another one of the people brought to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it follows the scientist played by Joel Fry, and he's um, sent off into the woods. Well, also, I should mention that this takes place and it's actually made during the quarantine that we came out of. Okay. So it takes place in a similar event where there's a massive scale um, uh, quarantine going on in the country. And they wrote and shot this pretty quickly, right? Yeah, I think they did it in like 15 days mm-hmm. or something. I, mean, I might be wrong about that. It might have been just written in 15 days, but a very quick turnaround yeah. on it. And he's a scientist who's sent out in the woods to meet a colleague of his. Um, and they're studying like fungal events and microbiological, um, how fungus kind of can 
is affecting the um, surrounding there. Mm -hmm. And he's going out to meet her. And I don't want to give too much away about it because it kind of unfolds in an interesting way. But he's meeting her and it gets creepy and weird and there's other things afoot. Now, I had mentioned Dark Song to you a couple of weeks ago. Did you get a chance to see it yet? No, I watched the trailer for okay. it, and it looks interesting. Dark Song is also one of these kind of low-budget horror films. Uh, and, I mean, it's it's essentially about two people locked in a house. Mm-hmm. There, There's a mom who her young daughter has died, and she's, she's wanting to, to reconnect or hear from her daughter in the afterlife. Uh-huh. And she acquires the services of this uh, occultist who has this kind of rigorous four-month ritual that that he takes people through that can allow them to connect with deceased uh, loved ones. Mm-hmm. But it's it's this this very small and intense, intimate thriller that really knows its budget and really knows its audience and knows what it has to work with. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's the thing when I'm thinking about kind of low budget films. I think what really sells me is the ones that understand what their budget is and and their ambition doesn't exceed uh, their budget or they know how to manage their ambition right so that what you're getting is is glimpses of or ideas of kind of these bigger concepts they're not jabbing at those bigger concepts that would be much more expensive and, and whatnot yeah. yeah but just like train to Busan, it it makes these smaller stories that for whatever reason just resonate so much more because you're really buying into the human beings at the center mm-hmm. of the story and then whatever happens around them, whatever you have the money to be able to to handle, you're really you're sold. You're you're in on the story. You're in on these people. Right. Yeah. I think sometimes being able to show everything that you have in mind can be a detriment. I think sometimes just telling or hinting at something can be just as powerful yeah. or even scarier in moments. Um, and this and you you hold Train to Basan up next to Army of the Dead. And it's it's a perfect example because with Train to Busan, it it's something where uh, they understand the scale of the story they're telling, and they don't go beyond that, and they're able to work within the confines. But then that that almost forces them to be much more creative about how they use their money or how they use their their storytelling. Whereas Army of the Dead, you can just you you can feel that that they had access to as much as they wanted. Mm-hmm. And they didn't have to cut anything. And it was just, what do you want to do? We can CG that and we can cram it all together. Who cares if it makes for a cohesive plot? Uh, You know, all of our ideas, toss it in. Right. And this one, it never feels like they're limited. Mm -hmm. Um, But they use their, like, in a way, I think it's something we've talked about previously where you can kind of tell a budget is low if they're just shooting in the woods, which they do. But they do the story in such a way that it feels kind of natural and it's Mm -hmm. not like they're forced into this situation because they don't have money. It's they use what they had, which was because we're in the middle of this quarantine. Okay, what's safe to do? Well, we can go out in the woods. What else is safe? We can have like four cast members and they use it as a... um, a positive. And I think for the most part, it's successful. I, I don't want to go into the story or what unfolds mm-hmm. too much just because it, it's interesting. And I think somebody should go in fresh to it. Um, but yeah, it's worth checking out for sure. Okay. Yeah. So I think that's all I got for what you're watching. What you watching about? Uh, I actually this week checked out Bo Burnham's Inside. Mm-hmm. Loved it. 
not only did I love it, uh, I had Levi watch it with me and then Rachel watch it with me. They loved it. And it just... It's it's a comedy special, yes. Yeah. It's also a musical, but it's also kind of a a charting of somebody just dealing with pressures and situations that aren't good for the human brain. Right, right. And and you really feel like you're watching mental illness not develop, but really kind of set in mm-hmm. and really. Uh, you know, kind of take somebody through the ringer. Right. And and I know there's been a couple of articles. This is pretty universally loved and praised. Mm-hmm. But there have been a couple articles about how much of this is real, how much of it is performance piece. Is he actually staying for an entire year in this two-room little place? None of that stuff matters to me because Burnham is really getting at the heart of what somebody who's depressed and isolated feels. Mm-hmm. And even if that's a set, that set is very effective at conveying the creative process when you don't have an outlet. Right. And I think so much of that came down to uh, stumbling across the very real and familiar pressure of people who have real talent but don't have really a way to get it out there. Mm-hmm. And and they're almost tortured and haunted by their content. <laughs> uh, and I just – man – just on the surface, it's very funny. Just oh, yeah. on the surface, the songs are incredible. Mm-hmm. He's um, a great singer. A great singer, great songwriter. Mm-hmm. Very clever. Every song is different. Every song has something to say. Yeah. Nothing is is hollow or, or an empty lyric. Everything has a purpose. And it really, even in moments where you're getting glimpses of his very real frustration, mm-hmm. uh, because no matter how much of it is performance piece, there's only certain things you can act. Oh, right. And I think there's moments where you really see him. Yeah. And I think it's genuine because just think about your film. You're filming yourself every day working on a project. Sure, there's going to be moments of frustration and you're dealing with this horrible event that's taking place worldwide and you're alone for the most part working on this thing by yourself. I'm sure there's levels of depression. So even if to the extent he doesn't really want to kill himself... There might be glimpse of the glimpses of that and moments of that are that are genuine. Sure. Where and of course, if you're filming every day, you're going to capture that. Mm-hmm. And at the end, you're just making that choice to put it in. And so maybe you could say, to the degree he doesn't really want to go that far with it, and that's performative. Yeah. But at the moment, it wasn't performative. And that's there's truth in it. Yeah. And I think what he's capturing, no matter how much of it is performative, he's capturing the truth of the feelings. Right. And the situation and the frustration and the setting is I, manufactured even is too strong of a word. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he's purposely putting himself into this studio space when he records and creates. That feels very authentic. Yeah. But it's it's still this idea of at the, at the end of the day, uh, the human mind is not built to deal with some of the pressures and the stresses that especially he's going through. At one point, he even talks about how he stopped stand up in, I think, 2016 or 17 because mm-hmm. he was on stage and mid delivery. Massive panic attacks. Massive panic attacks. To the point that he pulled away from it mm-hmm. and he was just getting ready to go back to it after years of feeling like, okay, I'm in a good place, then COVID hit. Right. And so suddenly now, you know, all of his all of his uh, momentum and all of his progress wiped out and here he is again 
dealing with his anxiety. Well, and not realizing that he was thinking that he was kind of recovering from yeah. that and then going into the situation where yeah. you're going to do this by yourself and thinking this won't be a problem. This isn't what I was dealing with previously. And then it just kind of rears its head in a different way and the anxiety comes back and yeah, that'd be a incredibly tough situation to go through. But even regardless of how much you think the that's performative, it's really an interesting glimpse into the creative process. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's fr highly frustrating it's doing something by yourself and like locking, like, I mean, I work on stuff by myself all the time and there's moments of frustration and, there, and of course, if you're filming it, you're going to capture it. And I think it's a really interesting glimpse into that. And I was really intrigued by him letting that stuff stay in and because seeing the final product i mean what he does with it is amazing the and Incredible. going back to what we were saying before about limitations like he used limitations all oh, the way yeah. through this into oh, yeah. a great like it's very successful and um what he does with the lighting and all that stuff is really interesting um but just seeing it uh, as a clean product at the end is i'm sure it would have been a really interesting like really good but yeah. seeing those little flaws and how you, he gets to certain things is just i think makes it even more richer yeah and everything has kind of a first level second level third level yeah there's always a message there's always a message behind the message or a theme behind the message or he's really dealing with some cerebral stuff yes uh, he might just be doing something that on the surface is for laughs, mm -hmm. but there's a lot more depth there. And and even compared to his early stand-up, it feels much more profound mm -hmm. and meaningful. Uh, you know, where he's at at 30 is is producing much more nuanced uh, reflections on, on life in the world than when he was, you know, 24 and 20. Right, yeah. Uh, so I just highly recommend that. That actually sent me off watching another thing I had already watched, uh, which is In and of Itself mm. on Hulu. Yes. Uh, which you had recommended to me uh, at the tail end of quarantine. You're like, you have to watch this. Yeah. This is, and then you said, can't describe it. Yeah. Uh, and I think you even said it. it's it's as close to... It's like a spiritual experience yeah. Yeah. to and, me. And it's it's essentially a, a one-man show that was done 500 times, night after night after night, and he, I mean, at his core, he's a magician. Mm -hmm. He's an illusionist. And he does six uh, incredible tricks. Uh, oh, yeah. Some really mind-blowing stuff that, that even watching it multiple times, I can't figure out. But the magic really has very little to do with what's going on. It's much more about... Uh, how people are labeled and and what your identity is and how you figure out who you are in this world and, and just these these very very uh, just central to to human existence themes that you would never think could be conveyed in the way he conveys them and the, oh, the right. just the truths and the experience that he touches mm -hmm. on it leaves people visibly in the audience weeping. Right. And I I cried oh, watching it. Yeah. It just it was such an emotionally uh, dismantling experience, which sounds awful, mm -hmm. but it was in the best way. And oh, it's it kind of uplifting just, at the oh, end. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It just yeah. makes everyone feel, you feel connected to everyone. And it's very similar in the same way to this, where um, I think a lot of people were questioning how performative it, yeah. it is very it's a performance it is a performance and he says at the beginning Bo yeah. Burnham also says 
It's a performance. Yeah, but and so people are kind of dismantling it like it's not a genuine experience because it's this thing that he's laid out. But does it matter in the end, really? Because it's, it's based on reality. Right. It's there's so some, entrenched in his life. Yeah, and there's so much emotional truth to it that it like it, it can even if the tricks, you know, the tricks aren't real. Yeah. But you can still be amazed by that and be amazed by tying in such amazing like personal story and emotional content to it. And you can tell that he is he's going to a very emotional place. And the stuff that makes him emotional is is very believable, something that you would you would have night after night after night. He's encountering different people and those people are having very emotional experiences. And and I get the sense what's overwhelming him is watching these people find relief and come to terms with who they are or just feel seen. Mm -hmm. There are so many people in this that that he points at and he identifies something and you can, I mean, it's all over their face. Yeah. This is one of the first times they've really felt seen by somebody and acknowledged. And the emotion on them, how could it not produce an emotion in you? If you're already committed as an artist doing this night after night for 500 nights. Right. You're you're in it. Mm-hmm. And to see it actually being effective and actually moving people mm-hmm. has to be very moving. Um, Have you seen on Netflix, this is tied into these two for me mm-hmm. anyway, um, Nate, a one man show no. with um, Natalie Palamides. She's actually on um, the uh, not Geico commercials, mm-hmm. but the uh, the progressive. progressive. Yeah. Yeah. But. She plays a character called Nate, and she's a man, but she's a woman, and she's goes out into the crowd and does different things with the crowd, and it's a comedy piece. But within this, she's tying this thing about like sexuality and like men and women and just like uh, sex relations and all mm-hmm. these different things. and And it's another one where like you're laughing. But by the end of it, it gets so real and it's so raw. It's like she's by the end of it, she's naked on stage and just bearing everything emotionally and physically. And and it's amazing. And and I'd say if you have seen these two and you haven't seen Nate, I'd watch it. It's uncomfortable. It's really funny, but it's really um, intriguing at the same time. Well, and I think there's something about that combination be- between performance and message mm-hmm. where when it when it's right, uh, I'll take that any day of the week over a straight comedy special oh, yeah. or a straight uh, you know, music special or straight anything. When you really feel like you're you're getting a glimpse into who these people actually are and right. what their struggles are, it makes comedy that much funnier. It makes uh, you know profound life moments that much more profound. It it just it elevates everything because mm-hmm. you really feel like you're being invited into somebody's mind and somebody's personal experience and pain. Mm-hmm. And then it it just it enriches everything that comes after. Yeah. I mean, and I can really appreciate a really good, well done, just straight comedy special oh, too. Yeah. yeah. But I, I'm really appreciative that there are these kind of things coming out that have multiple layers. And, um, and, and these are definitely not escapism specials. Oh, no. They, they challenge you to yeah. engage and you have to think and you have to participate in what's happening on the screen. Mm-hmm. They're not to be watched lightly. No. Uh, and and that, that can be off-putting to some people because it, it really does draw you into uh, some vulnerable places where even in your own mind, you just you have to ask yourself questions and answer questions that that you may not have thought of or you're just not really 
used to having to answer. Well, I mean, and that can be a powerful thing going into a comedy thing like that mm -hmm. and not expecting that. Yeah. And it kind of can get you off um, your footing for a second to like, oh, wait, I need to adjust to this. And I need to, oh, now I'm evaluating the inner <laughs> like confines of the my soul. <laughs> yes, the inner Clint. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. I wanted to chuckle for a little bit, yeah. but yeah. 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 Um, those, that's basically what I've been watching. Uh, it, it just, it sent me down this rabbit hole. Uh, the next one I'm going to watch is, uh, Tig on Netflix. Yeah. I need to check Tig that one out. Mm -hmm. It is also kind of a documentary performance piece, something, something mix of something, mm -hmm. uh, about when she finds out she has cancer, uh, in I think 2015 or 16. And she just basically has to decide if she's just going to give up or if she's going to continue performing or mm -hmm. how she's going to live her life now that she has this diagnosis and it looks it looks fantastic have you ever watched nanette no that's i haven't seen, it, seen either, it but, but i haven't watched that's it. when i hear that's similar it's okay. like not not the tigs but in mm -hmm. the same vein of what we're talking okay. about where it's a it looks like a comedy special but it's not it's okay. uh, much deeper Okay. So it might be worth checking out too. Right. I hear good things. I'm, yeah, I'm I'm on a roll, so I'm just going to keep going through them all. <laughs> uh, but that's that's basically all I've been watching today. We're actually going to to dig into not that we haven't dug into everything we've talked about already, but <laughs> twice to some degree. Seriously, but we're going to dig into uh, a little film called Censor. We're going to touch on uh, the Invincible season one, which is an animated uh, superhero series on Amazon, and then our Cinetron pick. Bill and Ted Face the Music, uh, which I cannot wait to hear your <laughs> thoughts on. But let's start with Censor. Okay, Ken, and I want to get you off your footing for a second. Okay. And I'm going to give the description of this because oh. I want to hear your thoughts on this film no, first. No, Clint, we've got a system. I, we got a format. But sometimes I feel bad because I set the tone for it. Yeah. And I think I might not set a great tone for this film. And I, want you, I want you to set the tone. <sighs> Just one, because this will throw me all off. But we'll do it on okay. one. okay. One. You so, get once. A British film Clint. censor links a disturbing horror movie to her sister's mysterious disappearance. Okay. So, Ken, I want to know, what did you think of censor? <laughs> this is weird, <laughs> being on this side of it. I'm not I'm not prepared. See, I get to prepare my thoughts while you, you talk use about me things. As I do. a tool. I do. I use you as a stepping board to my own genius. I'm just like, Clint's still forming his genius. And so I'm going to look smarter because I'll just like jump in once I've had more time to think. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Gotcha. Uh, sensor. So the, the, the reason I landed on sensor, because I think I shot it to you and said, you should watch this. Mm -hmm. Uh, and the reason I landed on sensor is because last week we were talking about Psycho Gorman. And when we were talking about Psycho Gorman, we were Very talking similar. about not similar at all. <laughs> but when we were talking about Psycho Gorman, we were talking about movies that take that that feeling of an 80s film mm -hmm. and then try to reproduce it. And in the case of Psycho Gorman, it went too far or not far enough. We couldn't really decide, but yeah. it just felt like it was using those things instead of really um, – presenting something that was authentically right. 80s. Yeah. Censor, uh, and I'll, I'll get to some more kind of nuanced discussion of it here in a second, but but on the surface, Censor nailed kind of late 70s 
uh, 80s, mm. almost uh, Dario, Dario Argento uh, yeah, yeah. kind of horror. It, it gave me kind of a Suspira vibe. Mm. And it, it starts very ordinary. And then it just starts ramping into areas where there's more going on than than what it would seem. And it, it starts to feel surreal. It starts to make you feel... Uh, uncomfortable or like you're not really sure mm-hmm. what's real, what's not real. And it, it puts you into this this character's shoes. Um, and and the woman playing uh, the the censor. I am a Holger. Um, yes. Mm-hmm. You probably recognize her recently from... Um, Raised by Wolves? Yes. I almost said Dances with Wolves. Have you watched like, Raised by Wolves? I have watched Raised yeah. by Wolves. I feel like we should talk about we that sometime. We should talk about that sometime. Yeah. But not now, but we should talk okay. about that because I have strong thoughts on that. I have thoughts too. You have thoughts, yeah. good. But but she's from that. She was excellent in in Raised by Wolves, and she's excellent here. It's it's a very uh, low key, understated performance. Um, I was I was really with this movie. Mm-hmm. I was with it. Mm-hmm. I mean, in it mm-hmm. for about two thirds, mm-hmm. and I still don't know how I feel about the last third. Yeah, it had me, and it it was ramping up, and then at some point. Uh, it almost like Psycho Gorman, very yeah. different film, but, but almost <laughs> like it, it almost reached too far and was trying to too intentionally do this kind of late 70s, yeah. 80s surrealist horror. Yeah. And I don't know that it had earned it. Right. And so I was with it. Mm-hmm. I was I was into it. I was really taken by it. And then from a, from there's there's a murder about two thirds of the mm-hmm. way through. Don't want to really go into it or spoil it, but it doesn't really matter. From that moment on, mm-hmm. as you're not sure if our main character is having a mental break or not, I just I did not feel like it it sold yeah. somebody who's really bounding between reality and delusion. Yeah, and it just especially by the time she gets to the forest at the end. It had really lost me. Now, by the by, the end of it, it had recovered some, and, and part of me wanted to watch it again. Mm-hmm. But I was so frustrated by that last third, I didn't really have a drive yeah. to watch it again. What did you What did you think of it? So I, I agree that I think I completely agree with you almost. So I went into it, and I was totally sold by the visuals of it, and mm-hmm. I think they nailed that look oh, so yeah. well of, that, of the 70s, 80s. That and ne- everything, production that, design, costumes. Oh, yeah, that neon-soaked yeah. look is so good. Um, but I – and coming out of it, I was just left like, I don't know what to feel about this film mm-hmm. because at moments I feel like it didn't go far enough. Mm-hmm. In moments I felt like it went too far, and I think it's – landing exactly where you're saying. I feel like by the end of it, they did not earn the dr- where it goes, where it totally flips because it's a very th- slow, methodical like piece uh, going up to that two thirds, but then it flips and I did not understand the flip. And stylistically, I love the flip when, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it does things like the aspect ratio changes yeah. and slowly closes in and suddenly you're watching What's happening to the character? You're watching essentially this this mock '80s film mm-hmm. of this character performing, and I, I love little stylistic flourishes like that. I got what they were going for. It's just what's on the actual screen, mm-hmm. what's happening. I I didn't buy into her having you know kind of more of a, a delusionary right. track, yeah. Especially with what's revealed once she does act on it. And, and she takes this action, then suddenly everything flips again. I know, yeah. And that wasn't earned to me because they really built up this odd 
strange series of characters and environment and this production that she goes and visits in the woods. And then it sort of just says, oh, no, just kidding. Yeah. I'm like, wait, what? And I think I was so just the pace of it and moments was frustrating to mm-hmm. me how like methodical it was and how slowly it was unfolding to where it got to that point at the end. I was almost just like really craving something to happen yeah. that shifted it in a bit. But by the end of it, I feel like it didn't earn that at all, like you're saying, because it was just there was no moment in the middle where there's the crossover. Yeah. Where there's a cross where you you think that she's starting to lose it or there's something else going underneath. It almost it just like feels like she's still just searching for her sister. And it never gets to the point where like, oh, maybe she was involved in some way that we're not thinking about yeah. or there's a little nefarious and yeah. In a weird way, it reminded me of that short in Love, Death, and Robots Volume 2 that we talked about, where there are the essentially the police force in the future uh-huh. killing children. Right, right. And this character, this main character, has this crisis of conscience for no reason. Right. And I loved where it was going with the censor. And so I thought, here's somebody who subjects themselves to violence daily, mm-hmm. and they're going to have some sort of moment where that causes whatever the last third of the movie is. Yeah. But just like that short in Love, Death, and Robots, it's like it's missing just a sentence, just a little plot point that explains why is this character who's been doing this for years suddenly having this moment. Mm-hmm. And and it, it didn't have satisfaction. It hinted at answers, but it never like had the a... Death is, sure, the been death is... Sure, the death of her sister. Well, the death um, of that man. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. like that, that could have been an answer. But sure. still, I, I her reaction to that whole thing, it was just not yeah. believable. Yeah. And I almost wish that they had spent more time almost adjusting the film where the last action or last sequence of it was almost the middle of the film. Yes. And then it was an unfolding of her going into like deeper madness and yeah. I don't know, going on not a spree, but just like something, some other sequence where she's just totally down the rabbit hole. By the time you get to that moment in the forest, it should be a, oh, she's an unreliable narrator. Right. I, I shouldn't have been putting my trust in her view of the world, but you don't have that moment. And yeah. it only really reveals it later. And it and even then it, it doesn't. I get what they were going for. It's not like I, I got to the end and was confused. I no, get, no, no. I get the I, ending. I, I, I guessed, get what they were doing. I guessed it. I guessed it too. Yeah. I was way far ahead of it, and that was a little frustrating. But I was yeah. like, kind of hoping I was right because I was so I was bored at some point. So I was like, if th- please just do this thing, and I was like, oh, they did it. Okay, but then it wasn't enough for me. Yeah, and it just it's it's a good film. Yeah, it's a well made film. It's it's a beautifully shot film. Yeah. And I, well like acted. I said, well acted. Yeah. I think it really does uh, elicit more genuine, uh, a, a more genuine sense or replication of that era. Oh, for sure, yeah. Uh, than something like Psycho Gorman. Yeah. There's, there's never a moment where this is for satire or it, it knows what it wants to be, and it's very confident and, and successful in, in evoking that tone and that, that mood. And yeah, that you can tell it's kind of a love letter to that. Um, that cinema style, for sure. Uh, just It just feels like the script let it down. Mm-hmm. The script just needed another pass, or it, it just needed a little more refining to get to a place that, that really brought everything together. Yeah, I just wish that switch was yeah. 
I don't earned. know. Earned. earned is the yeah. best word that I can think of. Yeah. Because and it's the hardest to articulate because like, okay, what didn't it earn or how could it have earned it? Right. I have no idea. It's just that feeling of you know when it's not quite there right. and you can feel it. Yeah. Uh because it, it just it literally it had me. It had me. It had me. It it doesn't have me. Mm-hmm. And I don't know exactly what that switch was, but I remember just feeling it mm-hmm. very it it just I I almost detached and checked out. Yeah. Yeah. It was kind of frustrating getting out of ending it. And it was just like, I do like, it's very rare that I feel like have no feeling about a film just because I mean, like Psycho Goreman, I had a feeling about it, even though I, I mean, I didn't, I I was frustrated by that film too, but it was, I could concisely say why, but this one, I, I was having a hard time really nailing it down and it was and i think you're right you just didn't earn that switch and i wish there was maybe i don't know if it needed to be less subtle or more subtle by the end like there was just a cross section in there that just didn't work for me i've thought about it all week just trying to you know because like that love death and robots segment we were able to point out exactly what the little details are mm-hmm. if you had just added that it would have instantly made it better i've actually gone over and over in my mind like what is it that Nia had added to this that would have made it effective and i am just clearly not a professional screenwriter and cannot come <laughs> up with that thing that would have fixed it for me yeah. i know there's something missing just can't put my finger on it. i'd actually still recommend this hesitantly I, I think it's worth watching. Oh yeah, uh, it's highly rated. It's it's very yeah. it's well reviewed and and I can definitely see where it connects to people. It it just missed the mark for me. It may not for you. And it's it's worth just. You're certainly not going to watch it and think you wasted your time. No, I think it was well done. Yeah. But yeah. So yeah. Uh, our our next uh, not film but uh, TV series mm. is Invincible, mm-hmm. and uh, now it's my turn, Clint. I won't, I won't interrupt this time. Right. I promise. I didn't mind that. I did enjoy it. So you know, <laughs> it, maybe we can flip it around a couple of times. No, I like you doing it. Okay. Well, I don't want to do it all the time. No, you're doing it again. Lord. I got to flex. I got to flex my brain, Clint. <laughs> and the only way I can flex my brain is if uh, i interrupt you rudely yeah okay yeah your brain has to be flaccid so mine can flex see how that works Mm -hmm. i think that was the wrong word to use yeah i could have made a joke but i refused thank you so invincible (laughs) is based on a a comic book series pre-walking dead or or maybe at the same time as walking dead the comic from robert kirkman and uh it's it's about a 17 year old mark grayson and is just like every other guy's age, except that his father is Omni-Man, kind of this world's Superman. Uh, he's the most powerful superhero on the planet. Mark develops powers of his own and discovers his father's legacy may not be as heroic as it, uh, as it first seems. Mm. Clint, what did you think of eight episodes of Invincible? Well, I had started this and I just turned it on randomly. I think I saw that um, Robert Kirkman was, it was his comic and it was based on that and that um seth rogan his company was tied mm-hmm. to it and they were doing it so that intrigued me because i usually like most things that seth rogan and uh his partner do uh evan goldsmith goldberg Gold- goldberg gold something yeah anyway um so i turned it on and i i got probably 10 minutes into it mm-hmm. and just i turned it off it felt like a low budget bad x-men like from mm-hmm. the 90s and so i was like ah what i don't know what this is I, and most it has to be really intriguing for a comic thing to grab me so i just turned it off and then i think you texted me a few days later mm-hmm. and you're like have you watched invincible 
I was like, yeah, yeah, I turned it off. And then you're like, maybe just make it through the first episode. Just get to the end. <laughs> just get to the get end to the of credits. the first episode. And I did. I watched the whole thing and still had the same feeling. And then I got through the credits. And the credits takes <laughs> turns everything on like a light switch for me. Oh, yeah. And I was like, oh, that's what this show is. Yep. <laughs> and so from there on, I was totally sold. Awesome. And... I was really glad that you had texted me and said, maybe you should check out Invisible because I really enjoyed the whole thing. Yeah. And I thought uh, it was really well done. The characters are really intriguing and I I, know, I really liked it. So what do you think about it? I, I had not read the comic and I had the exact same reaction. Mm -hmm. The first episode feels so ordinary yeah. and so generic and so just even the animation is not that impressive. And I just, everything about it, I I was bored. And mm -hmm. the whole time I'm like, I'm like, oh I'm, yeah, that's a, that's a Wolverine character. Yeah. And that's, a, yeah. And, yeah. Like I get it. Ha yeah. ha ha mm -hmm. I see your satire and cool, this 17 year old. And then suddenly the last two minutes, exact same thing. Like, Oh, that's what the show is. <laughs> Everything that comes before that two minutes is to set up that feeling of ordinary. This is just another yeah. superhero thing. It's all intentional, which is a bold move. Yeah, yeah. To go that generic for that long just to have that stinger at the end. And that stinger. They wow. should have had in the like title for that watch to the end. Yeah. Make sure you stick <laughs> Make around. Make sure you stick around after the yeah. credits. Because that that end so redefines. And now, like I've watched it twice. When I went back yeah. and watched the first episode with knowledge, mm -hmm. oh, that first episode works. It, right. It's it's brilliant. Mm -hmm. Um and and I just from from that last scene the first time on. That show absolutely had me because it was one of those, okay, this is not just ordinary superhero. This is superhero uh, innocence versus corruption. The, right. the idea of what does power absolutely do and and how do uh, you know these characters deal with it. And in the midst of all this, you have identity and you have this teenager who's trying to become an adult and this very familiar and real experience of thinking you know who your parents are. Mm-hmm. And then discovering the humans that are actually your parents. Right. And they're not the, you know, the, the, the upstanding gods that have everything figured out that you think when you're a little kid. Mm -hmm. They're just screwed up people too. And, and once I got that and through that first episode, I, I could not wait each week to get the next episode because it was just – and it, it really kept up. The, that that momentum, that trajectory. There are a couple of episodes or scenes. They're just like, yeah, it felt a little filler. But even then, they're trying to accomplish something. Yeah, and, I think all those moments were really good for character yeah. and made things like by the end of it feel more like kind of like what we were saying that feel earned and like felt you, you had more of attachment to these characters. Yeah. Um, and, and every time it, it did something again that was ordinary, uh, now it had trained me. Yeah. Stick out the ordinary. Right, right. Even even Amber getting upset at him, his girlfriend, because mm -hmm. he keeps disappearing. That has a payoff. Right. Everything has a payoff. And no matter how ordinary something seems, like this thing has ideas 
and things under the hood that you're you're not expecting and you're not ready for it, it zigs when it should zag. Right. Uh, it just it it continually surprised me. Yeah. And going back to like power corrupting, it's almost deeper than that because it's like with his father, mm-hmm. he's not corrupted. He is part of this thing, this system where power is just the goal yeah it's just it's not like we he arrived at this thing and he's turned it's not the means it's the end right right and that's the goal and i thought that was really interesting it's not like this slow burn where he got to this point over his stay on earth it's like no my intention is this and how that unfolds is so interesting and um it pays off so well. It's really interesting because I went and started reading the comic mm. after the series was done. And uh, the comic is structured very, very differently. The comic, you don't get any of that reveal that you get at the end of episode one until like issue eight or 12. Mm. And so it, it was interesting. And, and Kirkman in interviews has talked about this. He basically saw the animated series as a redo, hmm. the ability to take familiar elements, but to now that he's a stronger and more experienced storyteller, tell them in different ways. And it's that very Hitchcock, show them the gun or show them the bomb under right. the table. Yeah. And then let that tension just sit. Yeah. Uh, Tarantino and Inglorious show the Jewish people under the floorboards and then have Lada sit up top and talk. And you just, you know, there's yeah. suddenly this tension. And by revealing Omni-Man at the end of that first episode, it defines everything that comes after that because there is no sweet moment between father and son because, you know, baking underneath of all of this is this bomb that's going to blow up. Right. It's going to be found out. Yeah, right. And it kind of, it works really well. I can't even imagine it that way because yeah. it, play so well even with um susan o- or sandra o's character mm-hmm. his wife like yeah. searching out and trying to discover the truth and like i feel like knowing that it's him makes it more dangerous yeah. because you know there's a really really big threat if she finds out or if he finds out that she's like hunting out and what's he gonna do right uh, you know, because it puts every ounce of love and, and his more human moments into question. Right. Um, you know, what what is this father figure capable of? Mm-hmm. Because if he's capable of what happens at the end of the first episode, he's he's this very dangerous question mark. Right, right. Through the entire series, even down to, you know, by the time he and Mark have their inevitable confrontation. Mm-hmm. That's a rough <laughs> half hour of just animated oh yeah let me let me say that this well, show let's let's spoilers on this i'm because... not going to spoil anything oh, okay. i just want to say this show doesn't literally doesn't pull any punches no. this is gore filled to the brim yep. ultra violence superheroes yeah. acting like superheroes would act in this situation yep. to the degree like you're just seeing every yeah. part of a human being get splattered on a wall. And it's not just gore for gore's sake. No, no, it's really it's... playing with these themes of trust and and relationship and father-son dynamics and all these things. They're, they're you know, again, I mentioned earlier about layers deep. It's several layers deep. It's not just the visual shock oh, of right. things. And it's in the moments that are it deserves yeah. where it's in its place. Yeah. But one thing I want to mention, this has an amazing voice cast. Seriously, for I was just about yeah, to do Stephen the same. Stephen Yun from uh, Walking Dead and, and Burning, Sandra Oh from Killing Eve. 
J.K. Simmons, uh, J.K. Simmons, Zombie Man, Mark Hamill plays a role. Seth Rogen, uh, his role Zazzy is really, Beats. yeah. Uh, oh, I Goggins. love Seth Rogen's. I know. Alan, <laughs> Alan the Walton Alien. Goggins and yep. Jason Manzukis, like, uh, oh yeah, and uh, Gillian Jacobs. Yeah. So it's like every like they got great people for every yeah. cast member, and it's amazing. And once you get past that first episode. Uh, you realize that, yes, some of these other heroes or villains clearly represent familiar characters from the DC or Marvel universe, but they handle them in a very clever way. Yeah, and I think um, it's fun by when oh, I, yeah. at that point, I was... Once you buy yeah. into the premise and you right. know what the show's up to, yeah. then it's a good time. Yeah, just that uh, first, like, first yep. bite scene with the two um, clone oh, yeah. guys. What a terrible way to open the series, genuinely, uh, just... just yeah. Really? Yeah, because it's just interesting, like showing these characters and uh, they just look like bad X-Men characters. Yeah. And uh, so it just, and it looks like the 90s X-Men, yeah. which by the end, I was, I really did enjoy the look of the show. Oh, and, yeah, 100%. Yeah. and But you can even tell like that last minute in uh, in that first episode, even the animation mm-hmm. is completely different. Yeah. It, it does something where it gets more fluid and dynamic when when things happen that it's it's hard to explain but it's almost like there's this subtle psychological thing that happens where it's ordinary and kind of stocky and blocky but when something means something it moves and it bends and it it's so much more fluid and it really gives you the feeling of danger or threat or spontaneity well for sure and because it's such kind of a familiar look for one of those cartoons and then to do something so outside of those cartoons so far left field that it recontextualizes the whole thing yeah it's i like that they did that it's really great yeah and that's why again uh, thank goodness they didn't just release the first episode even. Oh, uh, right. they, re- they released, I know you watched it, you kind of binged the whole thing after the fact, didn't you? I got up to maybe episode four okay. and then I had to watch it. But at this point, I really love having something to look forward to. I do too. Like, I love the weekly. Yeah, like Loki's been love great because just having a, something to look yeah. forward to every Friday or yeah. Thursday, whatever it comes out. I've really missed that kind of Me too. event viewing mm-hmm. where I look forward to because then I find myself thinking about it all week. I binge a series, a season of television on yeah. like Netflix, and I think about it for a day mm-hmm. and then it's the next thing. But man, Loki right now yeah. has got me... Uh, hook line and sinker mm-hmm. heart and soul i am just uh i'm i'm so in on that show yeah and and there's something about giving me mystery and, and just enough for my brain to pick at where it's just like ooh, ooh what yeah, are, yeah what are they doing here <laughs> and and invincible does that same thing i loved when it got to a weekly me too uh kind of routine but again super bold what they do because mm-hmm. you realize by the end of the first episode that everything ordinary and boring was intentionally ordinary and boring and to spend you know 40 minutes of your 42 minute first episode intentionally not playing your hand just so you can have that (laughs) last two minutes that's bold i think if they had done the original kirkman um comic version i i don't know if it was i wouldn't have made it yeah i wouldn't either yeah that is really good choice. And, and that's he says the exact same thing in interviews. He's just like, he can't believe that he put it that late because just moving it to the front makes it so much more. It it 
recontextualizes everything. Well, and makes I'm, everything more powerful. Yeah, and maybe maybe it's different for him, but I'm sure at some point you're writing something like that and it's unfolding naturally yeah. as you're in your probably maybe you didn't have the idea at that point in it. So Or you knew he was gonna be what he's gonna be, but you hadn't figured out how yet. Yeah. Because you don't even know if the comic's gonna be successful. Right. You know, yeah, so you're exactly. just trying to put together a first issue. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um but I I'm well, another thing I was going to say that ties in really interesting with um, Seth Rogen is mm-hmm. like they did the boys too in yeah. this kind of almost in the same world, yeah. um, but playing with similar things. And uh, this is just the comic version. And I, I find it giving that character, I, I think they do a better job in Invincible than the boys of giving you the entry character yeah. that is, that's your mirror, mm. that you get to come to all of this this violence and corruption through, you're coming through this 17-year-old mark. And I, I think that works better than what the boys have have pulled off with Starlight and what's-his-face normal mm. kid. Uh, <laughs> that's his I name. That what's-his-face normal kid. Normal kid. Yeah. It's, he goes by Normie. Yeah. Well, it's it's an Austrian name, normal kid. Normal <laughs> kind, I believe. Normal kind. Yeah. Uh, but and and don't get me wrong, I enjoy the boys. It just uh, invincible, I think, set up a better uh, magic trick yeah. than than the boys did. The boys, you know what it is from the beginning. Yeah, and and this is something else. Mm-hmm. And again, we talk about stakes all the time, but it's a really fundamental part of storytelling. The stakes in this are much higher mm-hmm. because it's this family unit. Doesn't matter what else is happening or whether he's saving the world or not saving the world. At the end of the day, what I care about is what's happening with Mark and his dad. Is his mom going to be okay? Yeah. What happens to a marriage with this kind of stuff? What happens to a family with this kind of stuff? And I've actually read further in the comic now. Mm-hmm. I cannot wait. Mm. The the stuff the comic does uh, beyond what we've seen in the animated show, and he shifted a lot of stuff forward uh, and brought a lot of stuff that took a long time. He he moved it up into season mm. one, but but the material and the storylines they have left to work with, I just I cannot wait to see how they adapt that yeah. to this animated world. Well, I mean, if it was just another like member of the team just trying to hunt him down or figure out who, yeah, yeah it wouldn't have the same stakes. And also at the heart of it, it's really interesting, like this coming of age, like yeah. coming into his powers and trying to like navigate that and how he fits into the whole team and the whole system and where is he going to be part of this group or is he going to go on his own or start his own group? And like there's so many different things going on with the characters and like that point in your life to realize that I thought that was another interesting thing that he realized he has these powers later in his life. It wasn't he was born with them. He's whatever, 16, 17, starting, he's about to start his normal life, like go off to college or whatever and realizing, oh yeah, I'm a superhuman (laughs) half from this other planet. So uh, there's, yeah, there's a lot of layers to it. A lot of fun, some good laughs, a lot of drama, a lot of heart, a lot of jest. Man, rough scenes where, oh, yeah. again, that last episode that last, yeah, that just last battle. tore my brain in half watching <laughs> all that because, man. And some Ooh. genuine moments in the middle where, like, with um, with him, like, is, is he going to survive? Yeah. Like, some oh, fights he gets, he's gone through. For, like, you think, for oh, a is character he... nicknamed Invincible? Yeah. He gets Not quite to yeah. a pulp. Yeah, and it almost like makes you think about the seat. Like, oh, is he going to die? And then it goes off with another character for sure. a while. Because at this point, it could. Yeah. Because it's done so many other things that have kind of like thrown in, uh, everything against the wall and made you really think, rethink about it. But 
So highly, highly recommend Invincible. If you haven't already seen it, it is definitely one to watch and just make it through that first episode. If if you are not sold on this show in the last two minutes of episode one, then you can give up. Yeah. But if that last two uh, two minutes doesn't stir your soul and make you want to watch the next episode, uh, you're you're just dead inside. So. <laughs> Our our third and final review this week is Bill and Ted Face the Music. This was our Cinetron pick. This is the long-rumored third entry in the Bill and Ted series. Uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure and Bogus Journey came out forever and a day ago, back in the, the early 91, 90s. I think. Yeah. Sure. And, uh, <laughs> so it's, dismissive. It's, <laughs> it's, it's been rumored that this third one is coming forever. There's always been a script. And it was just about getting people together. And the more Keanu got famous, I I think the more it got shoved to the back burner. Finally, this thing has emerged from the the primordial cinematic soup and has has just dropped on our doorsteps. Uh, (laughs) Clint, what did you think of Bill and Ted Face the Music? Well, going into what you were just saying, I mean, I was reading about the history of it and they were talking about how yeah, they have had this script for a long time and it's the same writers um, from the originals mm-hmm. and uh, they have had it and they just could not get the financing for it. It was everybody was just like, oh, it's like it was it was a cult film and we're not going to put this budget into this. And then so like they kind of drifted off and went their own directions in their careers. And this thing was just they would come back to it frequently and like read, like update it and um and add to the comedy and you know but eventually it got to a point where keanu was even like not a big enough name his career had dived so they were like oh this was this was before john wick and right and And things like that yeah so they didn't really think it was ever going to happen but then john wick um kind of blew his career back up and so that it kind of got back out there and the, and people were a little more interested because he was a name again because there was that time between speed and the matrix that keanu was just rising star but people kind of forget even with the matrix sequels that that kind of tarnished a little bit yeah and then after that keanu just sort of really fell off the map mm-hmm. very quickly yeah he was doing like smaller films yeah. he was doing like romantic and just comedies and really stuff. hit yeah. yeah, yeah, and his, his career was kind of going along until John Wick. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure there's exceptions in there that I'm yeah. not thinking of, yeah. but nothing that like catapulted him back to the the cultural consciousness, right? Um, but I uh, went in and I I hadn't seen the second one, The Bogus mm-hmm. Journey, so I actually did go and watch that film. Did you enjoy that? I did. Really? I really enjoyed it. It mm-hmm. had. Um, I'm not going to say it's a perfect film. There's mm-hmm. actually there's some things in that do not hold up in this current time, <laughs> yeah. as far as uh, being um, some gay slurs that I will not repeat that yeah. they chose to use, but. Um, also there's some really fun stuff in it, like some fun practical effects and some, like, I, I really enjoyed them going to the afterlife and their whole meeting death, meeting and, death and them navigating through that was really fun. And, um, the like Martian characters that they befriend to help them make their own robot. And overall, I, it was really okay. fun to see a film from that period that I had not seen because I yeah. love films from that time period. It's, they're just fun and kind of campy. And um, so I actually did enjoy it. So going into this one, I 
I like this movie. Really? I really did. I had a wow. fun time with this movie. Okay. There was there was enough comedy to it and um I think they it actually was fitting within the world of the other two films in and justified. So what did you think about this? I just hated it. <laughs> you hated all of it? I read all of it. Yeah. I just <laughs> it was it was such a waste of film in my brain. Oh, man. I just I didn't enjoy it. I'm like they look super old. Maybe 10 years ago, this would have really hit with me, but it just feels like too little, too late. I could care less about the, uh, could not care less about the daughter characters. <laughs> I didn't enjoy that 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 uh, the actresses playing the daughters basically just did impressions of their, their father figures. I wish they would have been different people. Uh, I, I would have really loved this film, honestly, if they were just these super sharp academic kids that were nothing like their dads, but their dads are just these bumbling goofballs that they just love their dads and they have good relationships with their dads, but they're totally different people that just happen to want a music career, but they're much better at all of that. I would have loved it, (laughs) but it just, uh, I really miss George Carlin. I felt that the whole time. Uh, and it's not like they didn't get him. I really like that Kristen Shaw was playing his daughter. I, I guess. I just... I love her, so... Again, 10 years ago, and with George Carlin, I really think this movie might have gone me, but I didn't enjoy it. Do you remember when we talked about uh, Jay and Silent Bob reboot? I think this is a million times better than that. Really? I thought it was exactly the same. No, this is so much better than that. Really? Yes, because it's, it? it's funny, actually funny. Okay. You did not like the robot character? No. I mean, it was it's okay. The, it's the Russian guy from Barry. I know. But and <laughs> I love that. I love Barry. I, I love that guy. I just, I, I don't, and maybe it's just that my first experience with this was when I was in my depressive quarantine <laughs> state and I was not doing well with films. And I paid $20 to watch it. Oh, why would you do that? <laughs> because I needed, I needed Clint. I needed it. I needed joy. Okay. I was miserable and I was not mentally well. And I just needed, and and it, it just didn't, it didn't give it to me. And I, I did go back and watch it this past week, but it just still. You still didn't enjoy it? No, but see, I'm already against it. I'm already, it already lost me. So rewatching it didn't didn't warm me up at all and and i'm i'm very glad <laughs> that you enjoyed it i don't it. think this is a perfect film by any means but no. i was i went with no expectations yeah. because one cinematron picked cinnamon cinnamon tron tastier version cinnatron mm-hmm. picked this for us yeah. so i didn't go in with the, like oh i really want to see this film i had no real love for these films i watched the first one not too long ago, and I yeah. watched the second one literally this week. I did enjoy it, so um, I didn't really have. Maybe that's hel- that helped me a lot that I had no maybe. expectations. But there was enough comedy. Like I love the opening scene where they're at the wedding for his. I did enjoy that <laughs> for the woman who was married to her, both their fathers, yeah. and then marrying um, is it Bill's brother? Yeah, or, yeah, yeah, and them performing and doing this avant-garde. I that. Pl- I thought that was so funny because it really felt... Moments like that worked for me. It yeah. reminded me of Step Brothers. Yeah. And I, I really enjoyed those kind of moments. It's it's once they got into the adventure proper. Mm. And it just felt... For me, it was re revisiting old hits. Mm. Like they did stuff they did in the first movie. Then they went to find death like they did in the second movie. And there, I there just like wasn't that. enough new. It, it, it felt like... 
one of those movies or TV series, like a reboot that is much more concerned with Easter eggs and making you remember what you loved about the first two films more than doing something new. I think they did it way more naturally than like, um, let's say like the Dumb and Dumber films yeah. or James Silent Bob. I think he did it so much better to me. Like it felt so much more natural in the story, like how they end mm -hmm. up in, in death. And I wasn't even thinking about like death coming back. Yeah. And I really love what they did with death where he was like, he was the bass player in the band, but then like he has to, he tries to steal the band. So they kick him out. <laughs> and so like, there's this whole legal thing that they had to go through. And so now they're trying to remake, like make up with death. So he'll come play bass for this last one of it. I think there was a lot of little funny things in See, there. I enjoy you remembering it and talking about it more than I enjoyed watching it. Like hearing you say it, I'm like, yeah, that's funny. I didn't laugh at all when it happened on the screen. But when you're talking about it, I'm like, <laughs> I don't know. And and again, this, this goes back to that very subjective thing that I think about constantly. It's, was I just in the wrong mood, in the wrong place? And now I'm I'm sold against this movie, and it's so rare that you watch something again that you didn't like and realize, oh, I really do like this, because now you're going in with these very heavy expectations. I'm not going to enjoy this. I didn't enjoy this the first time. Well, and, I think it helps that I just had watched the second one, yeah. so I was very much in the frame of mind, and I was had that perspective of like, these are campy, these are stupid. So going in, I knew it was going to be campy and stupid, and uh, I think that really helped me as I was watching it. I, I honestly, another thing, I, I could have fully enjoyed an entire movie just of them and their wives going to marriage counseling. <laughs> that got me. That stuff was funny. Them just like, no, we both love you. Yeah, yeah. And they're like, yeah, but like me and you, not the two of you, I, I love that stuff. Mm -hmm. But again, that that tapped into some of that. I love Step Brothers. Okay. And so much of those moments that worked for me reminded me of Step Brothers and reminded me of just kind of these these two bumbling brother-like characters yeah. uh, who are just so naive and so good-hearted that when put in, in real-life situations and facing actual difficulties, that's where, where the humor comes out. But yeah. Once they got to the adventure, it was just more plot than than fun for me. I think they broke it up nicely because I at first I was just like, oh, they they got to do it again. I agree with you then, but there, but I think it really was well done with how the daughters were introduced mm -hmm. and how their storyline unfolds. And I think that they gave each part of that story their own storylines enough weight that it felt like worthwhile in the end mm -hmm. and how it comes back around. And I, I did enjoy their, I mean, it's, it's super silly that they're acting exactly like their dads, yeah. but it almost is comes back around in this endearing way that they admire their goofball idiot failure father so much, even regardless of how much they fail and they cannot write this song, they still love them. And I, I appreciate it for that. And uh, it's dumb. It's really dumb. All of it's dumb. They got to write a song that's going to save the entire galaxy or universe. That's yeah. dumb. But, and uh, I think it's, it's fun. And there's an, and I really like that the, um, like they use practical effects for the robot and and I don't know. I just I'm, enjoyed it. I'm glad it. you enjoyed it. I I genuinely I when I used to to write for Blu-ray.com and do mm -hmm. reviews, 
it was funny because people would think that I enjoyed not liking a film. Oh, you're just trashing this film that everybody likes or that I like. Yeah. Like, I don't enjoy not enjoying a movie. I love to love movies. And I almost get jealous when somebody else enjoys something that I didn't (laughs) because it's just like everything you're saying, I wish I had that experience. I love films. Like, I don't. I don't ever – like even Army of the Dead, I went into that and I wanted oh, I so badly yeah. to enjoy that movie and just didn't. And it really bums me out. And and Bill and Ted was one I just came away from. And like just really bummed me out that that didn't click for me. Yeah. And, and I'm so jealous of people, especially bad movies that nobody loves but you love that movie. Mm-hmm. I'm totally jealous because I <laughs> wish every movie I could just kind of preset my brain to whatever mode it needed to be. To enjoy that movie on its own terms and its budget and its challenges, whatever. I just wish I could enjoy every movie. This is my Psycho Gore Man, I think. Really? Yeah. Okay. That that makes sense. Yeah. It, it maybe hit me at the right moment. Yeah. Um, one thing I will say that I I'm not going to say I did I did not enjoy about the film was the song that they chose to decide that's going to save the universe, which felt like a car commercial song. Yeah. <laughs> which. Okay, they. I, I almost would have rather been like an 80s hair metal song, but oh well. The joke should have been there, you know, almost like the end of uh, uh, whichever Avengers movies that, wa- that was, Age of Ultron, where mm-hmm. it's like Captain America saying Avengers, and then it just cuts. <laughs> That's what it should have been. It should have been like them going to play the first chord and then just cuts back to the garage and like, it was such a great song. Uh, that would have killed me. I would have I would have probably loved the whole movie for that. Like, this whole thing is about writing the ultimate song, and we're not even going to give it to you because, come on. Right. Or the expectation should have been twisted in yeah. some way. Like, yeah. I don't know. I, I, I understand the heart of it. Oh, and yeah. I understand the choice because to most people, that is a very uplifting thing that yeah. kind of music but it felt like a car commercial song to me and i don't get it and and i will say the one thing i did enjoy the whole time was just it did not feel like a chore even to no. keanu reeves you can really tell the people involved in this and, and it was the same thing with jay and silent bob reboot they're having a good time and they're loving what they're doing and good for them even if even if i walk away and i'm like yep wasn't worth my time I still enjoy where I don't see kind of corporate America putting together a sequel or Mm -hmm. a reboot. I actually see filmmakers and performers enjoying what they're doing. Uh, That was very clear in this to me. There was so much. This film has such a big heart. Oh, yeah. I mean, even like Alex Winter is what I was reading. He's like, like his main like drive for this was the fans because like the fans like there's been a lot of fans asking for this still and it's not that he didn't want to do it but it was like okay there's people want to see this and that gives him like kind of the not strength but like uh, more i don't know intention to get through with it and and i love that side of fandom i hate the toxic side of fandom i love the pure side of fandom where it's just people love a thing Mm -hmm. and they want to see more of that thing yeah and some really cool people in hollywood want to give them that thing not to make a buck but because you want it we we want it let's you know synergize here and give you that thing you love right you can tell that they love the characters yeah. too genuinely genuinely and then the drive of the um, fans just like added on to that to make it happen yeah and you compare that to something like a zombie land too i love zombie land zombie land 2 felt very much like a well let's churn out a sequel and make a buck yeah and i'm sure it wasn't it just that's what 
came through through to yeah. me. Yeah. Uh, whereas this, the whole time I'm like, even even the side players who haven't been in the series, uh, Kristen Shaw, you can tell there was love for this series mm-hmm. in every actor and actress that that's there because there this means something to them and yeah. it, it really translates. You can feel when a cast is like, I grew up with this or this was important to me when I was a teenager or I love this as a fan mm-hmm. too. Yeah. Uh, so, all right. Well, I'm I'm glad you enjoyed it. <laughs> I will just be the grumpy old man on this one, I guess. Maybe. And just shrug my shoulders and, and tell you to get off my lawn. <laughs> so let's uh let's give Cinetron a spin and see what Cinetron comes up with this week. this one oxygen oxygen so that's a, a space movie on netflix or yeah. it looks like a space movie like in a cryogenic movie. like yeah. chamber yeah. or something okay yeah, uh, i think it's that's, a space movie i think i have that one in my queue uh, i've definitely but, seen it on there okay yeah. i i'm up for good sci-fi space i'm i'm kind of a sucker for uh space journeys and i really you know passengers was one i really wanted to love it had some problems with it but i'm just kind of i'm always in the bag for for a good space flick so okay me too all right always love a good space space feature i feel like cinetron doesn't hate us anymore it'll come back around (laughs) (laughs) don't you worry it'll it'll come for its vengeance soon yeah (laughs) <laughs> All right. Well, this has been episode 29 of Cinebabble. Uh, fantastic as always having you guys listen. Uh, You're just, listening, right? Uh, sure. Find us if on. If we listen, we hear. Yeah, I can hear I you know. out there. Find us Through on Instagram. We've got, I, I forget how many ridiculous number of followers on, on Instagram. So Something I wanted to mention like is that we are doing this every other week now. Yes. For the time true. being. Yeah. Um, until maybe we get the itch to do it every week. But now, yeah. for now, we're doing it every other week. And we're working out some things behind the scenes with some of our editing and things like that. I, I think a lot of it comes down to we love doing it once we can get it to where it's not, uh, you know, taking a, a full day out of your life just to to get an episode up. I think it's a little easier to do it more than once. But I feel like you're bad mouthing me. No, I'm <laughs> saying you're a genius, Clint. I, Don't go that far. You are the genius I'm that no I Lord. step on other mid geniuses to no, reach. I am no Lord. Well, that's true. Of one square that's, foot. That is true. That's because no one has bought you land in the United Kingdom. Not yet, anyway. Well, it's never going to happen because they love me more. They you, just, you probably bought all of, of the squares up. I, I'm working on it. I'm telling you, I'm land baroning. <laughs> I am. I'm going to be time. one square foot at a time. I'm, I'm a Scottish land baron. I'm going to get a castle at some point, and uh, we'll record from the castle. That's what we'll do. Okay. That's what we'll do. One thing I wanted to ask you is, do we have an email address that we are telling people to they can write us uh not at the moment because mm. during that very very long week uh, <laughs> of quarantine a lot can happen in uh the, the we thought you know maybe we're just not coming back mm-hmm. and and recording again and so i sort of let the website lapse 
and Hmm. didn't go back to that. But I can make sure. You can definitely message us on Instagram. You can find us at just Cinebabel on Instagram or hashtag Cinebabel. You can definitely contact us there. But, yeah, we'll get the the email up. But for now, you know, shoot us a message on Instagram. Follow us. Like us. Subscribe. Etc. 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 We are sensitive. We are sensitive. We get our feelings hurt pretty easily. Yeah. So, uh, this has been Cinebabble episode 29. Looking forward to our big anniversary 30th episode oh. with Netflix in space. We're finally adults. Yeah, we are adults. Oh, <laughs> yeah. That's funny. If you didn't get that, go watch Bo Burnham inside. But until next episode, uh, thank you very much for listening. Stay healthy. Stay safe. Adios. Hey, you just, you always, you always come in with the best part. Adios. Hey, how's everybody? And then see you later. Thank you.